Father, we come before you and thank you for all that you have done for us. You have been faithful through every storm of life, and you will be faithful forevermore. As we come to your word, I pray that you would prepare our hearts, plant your word deep in us, and cause it to bear fruit. Open our ears to hear and lead us in your truth. Show us Christ through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Craig and the team do such a great job leading us in worship. Thank you. Well, good morning, and it's a privilege to open the Word of God again. We're in the third and final part of our little series, jumped out of the Gospel of John, as you know, and we're looking at a little series we've called A Life Worthy of the Gospel. We've sung that God has indeed done great things, and... uh, I hope that that warms your heart this morning to know that uh, without Him, you would be only given to doing very terrible things in this life. Uh, He's done a great thing by transforming our hearts. He's done a great thing by clothing us with the righteousness of Christ. He's done a great thing by indwelling us with the Holy Spirit so that we can live out this Christian life. And that's what this series is about. This series is about making sure that who we are in Christ, our position, matches our practice. Matches our practice. And you recall we began this series by looking at Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. You don't have to turn there. We uh, had that as our home base, if you will. We saw there that the Apostle Paul said that only be about one thing. Only be about one thing. And that is living in a manner worthy of the gospel, living in a manner that is consistent with who we are in Christ. He called for a blessed unity in doing that, that we don't live out this Christian life in isolation. We must never live out this Christian life in isolation. There's a beautiful little quote that says that Satan always looks for the ships that sail solo. And so we live in community. We need one another. We need the church. I made mention last Sunday, and I really love for this to be written on the doorposts of your heart and my heart, that a gospel-saturated life will not be a sin-saturated life, that if we are forever filling our hearts and minds with the gospel, that, that the truths of the gospel, if we're preaching the gospel to ourselves, and I want you to plumb the depths of that a little deeper, normally preaching the gospel, we just think, okay, Jesus died for me, that's grand and great. You know, there's a wonderful little book we we went through as a home group a little while ago. I can't recall. Oh, Hidden in the Gospel, it's called. Hidden in the Gospel. And that takes the idea of preaching the Gospel to yourself, saturating your mind and heart with the Gospel to beyond simply just Jesus died on the cross for me. Hallelujah. Even though that is most, most worthy of hallelujah, it takes it to a new depth and it says, preach unconditional election to yourself. Preach the active obedience of Christ to yourself. Preach the incarnation to yourself. Preach the resurrection to yourself. These are all wonderful truths to warm your heart with. And as we do that, as we go beyond simply just our sins forgiven, but plumb the depths of the love of God for us before eternity, in eternity past, before time began, And as we warm our hearts with the fact that Jesus not only died for us, but He lived for us. And we warm our hearts with those deeper components. That's really getting deep into the saturation. That's reaching saturation point. And when we saturate our hearts and minds with the gospel, we won't be in a sin-saturated life. That's really the heart of this little series. And so we looked at a supreme gospel saturated command. The command was to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. We looked at a serious gospel-saturated unity. As I made mention of, we, we do this together. We strive with one mind and one heart. We bless one another. No, 
no benefit and no blessing and certainly not living pleasing to God, living a holy life off here by yourself isolated. No, we, we live it in community as a local church. We saw that. And then we began to look at a sequence of gospel-saturated applications and we, we considered a couple of those the last two Sundays. Well, we're going to continue to do that this morning. And so we're back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So turn with me in your Bibles there. 1 Thessalonians 4. And let's just go ahead and read those 12 verses again that we made mention of last Sunday. We're really going to focus this morning on verses 11 and 12. We kind of finished up in verse 9 and we'll read that now. So follow along with me in your Bibles beginning in verse 1. And may God really bless the reading of His Word this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk, live, and please God, just as you actually do, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification, in holiness. So, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Now, as to the love of the brethren, the brothers and sisters, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And attend to your own business and to work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We thank You for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, that Your Holy Spirit might give us attentive hearts and minds. Lord, we long to walk and please You and to excel still more. Father, we long to live out our sanctification. We thank You that it is You who works in us as we seek to work out our holy life. Father, we pray that we would be quick to flee and fully abstain from any form of sexual immorality. We know, Father, that You've not called us for anything other than our holiness. And so, Father, we do not reject this. We thank You that You've given us Your Holy Spirit. You've taught us by Your Spirit to love one another. And You call us here now to excel in that still more. And so, Father, we feel the weight of Your good urgings by Your good law. And Lord, we know by Your grace we have the fuel to lay hold of the ability to excel in these areas. And so now, Father, we come 
hearing you speak to us in your word, that we ought make it our ambition to lead a quiet life. And we want to do that because we want to live pleasing to you. And so we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for sending your beloved son. And we thank you that we have your beloved son for the pardon of our sin. And we thank you that we have your beloved son for the power to overcome sin and to live a holy life. And so we really are really blessed. And so we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Last Sunday we, we burrowed down into what it looked like to live worthy of the gospel by living before our God. Meaning that we, we realize that we live in the presence of God. We live coram Deo before the face of God. We want to live pleasing to God, as Paul says in verse 1. We looked at that and we looked at the whole idea of what the will of God for our lives is, is that our, we would grow in greater and greater holiness. And the example, the one specific example that is given to us there is our sexual purity. And then we looked at what it looks like to be worthy of the gospel by living before each other. So we live before God, pleasing Him. And we live before one another by how? By loving one another in verse 9. You know, that's so pertinent, right? We consider that beautiful phrase, taught by God. That the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts and it is just a quote-unquote natural, supernatural thing that has been given to us to just love one another as a church family. Just like we love our blood relatives we love our blood-brought relatives. One author by the name of Dan Allender, he wrote this, quote, I will not live with purpose and joy unless I love. I will not be able to love unless I forgive. And I will not forgive unless my hostility is continually melted by the searing truth and grace of the gospel. End quote. You see, the gospel melts the hostility. The gospel overcomes the flesh's lustful impulses to be grumpy and bitter and to hold on to things and to hold grudges. The gospel is what sears that away, cuts it away. Another author stated this, quote, Regardless of personality differences and conflicts, all believers should be bound together in warmth and concern for each other because of their relationship in Christ. The gospel, again, affects how we treat one another, even those of whom we have personality differences and even conflicts with. Well, this morning, we're going to continue to burrow down in this kind of sequence of gospel-saturated applications by looking at, now, living before the world. Living before the world. We've, we've looked at living before God, before one another, in the act of loving one another. And now we live worthy of the gospel by living before the world in verses 11 and 12. And so if you're taking notes, that's the one heading that everything else is going to flow under. And in verses 11 and 12, there are three commands. Three commands. They are each in the present tense in the Greek. And what that means is that they are each conveying the idea of an ongoing, continuous pattern for our life. And under that one heading of living before the world in verses 11 and 12, there's three subheadings. And the first one is, it's a command from our God to be quiet. Be quiet. Look at what God, by way of the Apostle Paul, says to us in verse 11. We are to make it our ambition to lead a quiet life. We kind of need to ask ourselves what is meant here by a quiet life. There are two words for quiet that are commonly used in the New Testament. A word which means to be quiet in the sense of silence and speech. 
silence and isolation. And you can kind of imagine some oasis somewhere. Some utopian idea in your mind. Away from it all. Silence, non-talkativeness, quiet. The kind of thing that you long for sometimes in a house full of children. I know you grandparents love to have your little grandchildren over, but you also love to give them back at the end of the day or the week. The other Greek word for silence means restful. Restful. And that's the word that's used here. It doesn't mean to live isolated. It doesn't mean to live nomadically removed out in silence, but it means to live restful. It really conveys the idea of being Settled. It's an important word. It's really important to define and distinguish that. Because I think sometimes we read this and say, live a quiet life. God is telling me just to lay it all down and let it all go. I want to tell you that's the furthest thing from what God is saying here. But what is God saying here? question because I think it's tempting to run to the first word, right? I mean, who doesn't want to have quiet in the sense of silence and time away from the hustle and bustle and the busyness of life? You say, no, no, I'm all for that all the time. <laughs> no, no, we, we want silence. and Solitude, I think, is a good word. But that's not what God the Father is saying to us, His children here in verse 11, what God is saying to us here in His Word is that we need to be ambitious about being restful and settled in our life and the things that are in our life. God has ordained what is in our life. We need to be restful and settled about those things. We're not to be constantly on the move away from those things. That's the lesson here. We're not to frantically avoid that which God has placed into our life. We're not to be restless and hectic even in our day-to-day -day life. And that's not what God calls us to. In many ways you could say this. We're not to be distracted by everything else other than that which God has ordained for us in our life. Instead, we are to live with where God has us. In many ways, this is not a call to dislocation into isolation from the life that God has given us here and now. We mustn't understand that like this. Listen to John Calvin on this phrase, lead a quiet life in his commentary. Quote, this is the best means of a quiet life. When everyone, intent upon the duties of their own calling, discharges those duties which are given to them by the Lord and devotes themselves to these things, while the husband employs himself in labors, the worker carries on their occupation, and in this way, Everyone keeps within their own limits, end quote. And Calvin is saying there very clearly that we have duties to discharge. We have responsibilities to fulfill. One Greek lexicon, and a lexicon is just a book that defines Greek words for you. One Greek lexicon that I looked at during the week, said of this single phrase, lead a quiet life, it defined it this way. As, quote, those who are not running hither and thither, but stay at home and mind their own business, end quote. I like that. They're not a fire engine. They're not an ambulance. They're not a gossip train. They're not running all over the place. But they stay at home and they mind their own business. Listen to the necessary qualification that Calvin then makes. Quote, This does not mean, however, 
that everyone shall mind their own business in such a way as that each should live apart, having no care for others. End quote. It's important to add. I mean, that would just go against all the other commands in Scripture if we took it to mean that. You see, what the Apostle Paul is seeking to do here is to correct an imbalance. An imbalance that occurs in the lives of believers if we are neglecting this command and not understanding this command to lead a quiet life. And that is that we can become so noisy in our lives by being so bustling and reckless and, ready for it, discontent. Discontent. You see, to lead a quiet life is at the very heart, the living out of the day-to-day responsibilities that God has called us to without any regard for what others are doing with their lives or what they get to do or get to have and we do not. You see? This is why the command to lead a quiet life is grammatically intrinsically linked with minding your own business which we'll get to in a moment. The idea of leading a quiet life is to be restful and tranquil in your home and in your church and in your workplace and in your overall life. Not frantically, hectically running all over the place, but also not discontent with what God has given you in the form of His provision. You see, you cannot agree with R.C. Sproul who said that there is not a maverick molecule in the universe, meaning that every single molecule is under the rule and reign and provision of God. You cannot believe that and then be discontent with God's provision for you. I think it was Spurgeon who said that if you were to be in any other situation than that you're in, divine love would have placed you there. I like that. God gives us what we have and God gives us responsibilities to do. And if we don't end up taking heed to this command from God, What ends up happening is we end up being busy and energetic, busy and energetic in the places that do not matter and fail to be faithful in the primary places where we must be settled and content. And that is inside our homes, inside our church, and inside our work. I mean, think about it for a moment. Think about if you just viewed your life as a whole as something that you are discontent with, that's going to create a lot of noise. And you're going to frantically seek to escape your discontentment. But the command here is from God our Father to say, rest in that which is before you. We need to be contented and restful and faithful. That doesn't mean that we just have bliss and utopia before us. We have sickness, we have trial, we have heartache. But all these things are from God in the ultimate sense. But He calls us to live through those heartaches and trials by looking to Him. You'll notice there Paul begins in verse 11 by saying that this must be our ambition. So this is not simply just some little whim. This adds here expectation and necessity to all of this. Make it your ambition. Literally, aspire. To to have this as a goal. We all love goals. We all need goals. Well, we need to make it our goal to live not apart from others in isolation, Not envious of what others have that we do not have. But resting content, if you will, in what God in His loving wisdom and care and providence has given 
us both to have and to do. And to be focused on focusing on that. That is the quiet life. Again, the quiet life is not just some silent solitude, absent and trying to get rid of all those difficult things that you might view as difficult in your life. No, no, God is calling us here to be quiet while dealing with those difficult things in our life. Flick forward with me in just a moment, for just a moment to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verse 1 of 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul again here says, first of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And so get this, Paul is saying there, that the command to pray for those who are in high places, like those in high places in our nation, our prime minister, our government, our mayor, our councillors, even those who govern us, brings about a result. And that result is the favorable conditions for Christians to live so as to glorify God and share the gospel with the lost. To live a quiet life, being able to live out our faith. I mean, that's why we live, is it not? To glorify God and share the gospel. We do not live in the fullest, most ultimate sense for a new house. Or a new car. As nice as a new car and a new house may be. But we live resting in what God has for us and to please Him in every regard. Fulfilling His will for us in our lives. Always getting altitude, always being reminded of our ultimate purpose, and that is to bring glory to God and share the message of hope with those on the outside of the faith. To live quietly, to live soundly, to live sharing the message that gave us the grace to live the lives that we do. You see, as the result of such prayers, it's so that we may lead a quiet and tranquil Life. Listen to Psalm 131, verse 1 and 2 for a moment. Psalm 131 says this O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes. Nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. There are just things that that's just too much noise for me. I could run to those. I, I could run to, 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 to all these great matters that are occurring. But I don't. David says. Interesting verse in Isaiah 30, verse 15, it says, In repentance and rest and in quietness and trust is your strength. God's words to His people. In quietness and trust is your strength. Israel didn't listen to that. But you and I ought to listen to that. Now, so as to not get things twisted. I've already made an allusion to it, but so as to not get things bent out of shape backwards, let me say this. It's not very quiet sharing the gospel. It's not very quiet going out onto the mission field. It's not very quiet working hard for your family. It's not very quiet. Oh, I should have done this each time. It's not very quiet being a blessing to your brothers and sisters in Christ by loving them in 
tangible ways. It's not very quiet living your life as a mom or a dad or a husband or a father. It's not very quiet being a Christian at times. So please do not take quiet for withdrawn or free from rigors and responsibilities of life. Take it for what God intends it to mean. And that is that God has laid before you inside your home, inside your church that you call home, inside your work that you leave home to go to, to be focused on all that as a matter of priority. And anything else is just noise, too much noise. And often part of that noise is what is revealed to us under the next heading. We've looked at be quiet. Number two, be non-interfering. Be non-interfering. And really, the hinge between leading a quiet life and being non-interfering by attending to your own business is kind of summed up and kind of encapsulates the fact that this is all an act of love. This is all connected to verse 9 and 10 where we're told to love one another and to excel still more with what one commentator said, quote, a Christian who strives to be at peace with himself and God will be a source of peace to his brethren. Such a quietness constitutes a practical demonstration of love for the other. End quote. D. Edmund Hibbert added this, Nothing disrupts the peace of a Christian community more than the unwillingness of members to shoulder their part of the responsibility for it. End quote. If we're busy out here, we're not loving those in here. If we're busy out there, we're not loving those in our home. If we're neglecting the people in here and the people in our home, I can tell you on the authority of Scripture, that is not living before God in a manner that pleases Him. That is not living in a manner that is worthy of the Gospel. Be non-interfering. Be non-interfering is the first of two duties of a quiet life that are given to us. Be non-interfering. You see, we actually live a quiet life by attending to our own affairs, living content with what God has for us, and by not meddling in or interfering in the affairs of others. That's a stern warning to me and to you to not be nosy. To not be nosy. We are to have concern for the needs and the welfare, both the physical and the spiritual, of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That is for sure. That is not what is being referenced to here. We are called here as a matter of living holy. We are called here as a matter of holy living required of us by God to ensure that our own affairs of our own life are in order and that we are attending to those things as a matter of priority. Our homes, our wives, our husband, our children, our bills, our responsibilities. You know, there are two chief ways we fail here to be non-interfering. To, as Paul puts it, to attend to your own business or your own affairs. Two chief ways we create noise that shouldn't be there. By conversation and by comparison. By our words and, if you will, our wonders of what it would be like to live like that person and have what they have. 
First, our mouth, our words, our conversation. That's a chief way we create too much noise and we fail to live in light of the gospel by living a quiet life. First, by the words we speak. James chapter 3. Verse 3 to 6 says this, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, you've done that, right? Horse ride? You pull this way, it goes that way. Pull this way, it goes that way. Pull back, it stops. We guide the whole horse by that tiny little bit. James says, consider ships as well. He says, they're so large, and they're driven by strong winds, he says, with the sails in them. But what's at the back of the boat? Tiny little rudder. He says they are steered by a very small rudder. In the same way, the tongue is a small part of the body. Pretty small. Consider how small a spark sets a great forest ablaze. I come from Australia originally. The land of bushfires. I can remember living in California and the guys over there would say, man, there's some big bushfires here in California. And they were, but they only burn about that high. And you've seen the photos from Australia, just massive. Firemen are dwarfed. They look like ants compared to the fire. A lot of those fires come from a tiny little cigarette butt thrown out the window. Tiny little fire sets forth massive blaze. Or a tiny little word can set forth a massive blaze. Divide a family. Divide a church. Divide a community. James says, the tongue also is a fire. A world of wickedness among the parts of the body. It pollutes the whole person. Sets the course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Ask Simon, who has written an entire commentary on the book of James about what that phrase actually means, because I could only surmise for you. You know, our words, our words destroy the quiet life when we get nosy. When we gossip. You know, James then adds in verse 9, he says, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse and tear down men and women, even men and women made in the image of God, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who we're in fellowship with through the shed blood of the Son of God. James says, out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Can a fig tree grow olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. We fail to live in a manner worthy of the gospel by failing to live a quiet life when we gossip and slander because gossip and slander destroys reputation. Someone made mention this week that the Apostle Paul almost had his entire ministry destroyed by simple words of slander. We can destroy people if we're not careful with our words. We must mind our own business. The second chief way we disrupt the quiet life and act as nosy meddlers is by our comparisons. First by our conversations and then by our comparisons. And what I mean by that is, coming back to that whole discontent idea is, as I don't mind my own business and I'm focused on my own affairs and I look out at the affairs of others, not only do I see if I am unrestrained in my flesh, opportunities for sinful gossip and slander, I also see opportunities 
for sinful envy and jealousy. And I begin to make comparisons. Listen to Proverbs 14 verse 30. A restful, tranquil, quiet heart gives life to the flesh. But jealousy and envy makes the bones rot. Let's not for a moment pretend to be super spiritual saints and say, I never get envious and jealous. Like, come on. We do. To live to ensure, so to live so as to have our position of who we are in Christ match our practice, we need to crucify the lusts of envy and jealousy. Nothing will create too much noise like jealousy and envy. And so, to attend to our own affairs is to watch our mouth, watch our conversations, and watch our comparisons and our envy. Another way I'd say this to mind our own affairs is we don't have to have an opinion on everything. We don't have to have an opinion on everything. I really take that one seriously and to heart. Proverbs 26 verse 17 says, Like the one who takes a dog by the ears is he who passes by and meddles with strife not belonging to him. We've got to be careful when we hearken to meddle in the affairs of others. I'll tell you why. You know, in Christ, there's lots of liberty. Sometimes we can, in that liberty, have freedoms in our conscience that others may not have. And so we need to be very careful not to extend and begin to interfere in the freedom that others have in their conscience. Maybe we gossip about it. Maybe, maybe we slander them for it. We need to be very careful. Romans 14 verse 4 says, Who are you to judge the servant of another to his own master? He stands or and I love the end of that verse. What does it say? And his Lord will make him stand. So we've got to be non-interfering. We've got to be quiet. We've got to be non-interfering. And then last, we need to be hardworking. Hardworking. Look at the end of verse 11. Work with your hands. Among the Greeks of the day, manual labor was degrading. And for a Greek who was not a slave, manual work with hands was repugnant to them. They, they believed that it was for the slaves to do that manual labor with their hands. Not them. They were, they were altogether free from that, they thought. Interestingly enough, not the Jew. The Jew held work trade in very high regard. But the Greeks, not so much. And so Paul is writing to a church in a Greek city, Thessaloniki, and telling them, countercultural, to work with your hands. To work hard. They despised working with their hands. Paul calls them to work with their hands. He, he added work with the hands, the hands very specifically, very purposefully there. Think about it. By doing so, by actually having the Word of God bear down into their life. Remember Paul wrote to them. He said, these are the commands from the Lord Jesus Himself. By having those commands bear down upon them, what, did, what happened to them? Well, not only did they become self-sufficient, but they also became distinct in the culture. They, became, they stood out. Markedly distinct. Because they worked. We could talk and explain and apply 
the blessedness of being distinct as a Christian, to be separate as a Christian. But time won't allow us. But let me tell you this cool verse. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 19 says, Men prepare a meal for enjoyment, and wine makes life merry, and money is the answer to everything. It's in the Bible. You're like, whoa, hang on, what? Well, you work, you get money, you're able to fulfill the responsibilities before, you're able to pay the bills, but you're also able to enjoy. Obviously, not in excess, to the detriment of being able to pay your bills or anything like that. But you work, and you're blessed. Attend to your own business, work with your own hands. Next, it says there, just as we commanded you, in verse 11. These are not matters that are new to them. I trust this is not matters that are new to you. The Thessalonians have been instructed prior. Certainly, you and I have been instructed prior. But excel still more. Do better. And then there's this twofold purpose given, and we'll end here. The series will be done. Verse 12 gives us this twofold purpose for all of this. Loving one another, living peaceably so as to not disrupt the unity of the body of Christ. Not being busy bodies in the body of Christ. But attending to our own affairs, living a quiet life. Twofold purpose. Number one, as a testimony to the grace of God to the watching world. Look at, the, look at, the, look at verse 12. So that you will behave properly toward outsiders. That's the goal. Because we were saved not to have a nice life. We were saved to show forth Christ and to share Christ. Everything is for Christ. Our daily conduct has an effect upon non-Christians. You know, we, we conduct ourselves a little different. We're not perfect, but we conduct ourselves a little different. We're honest. We'll even lose jobs by not, by not lacking integrity or being dishonest. The second purpose there you see in verse 12 is as a testimony of the grace of God in that we can maintain a dignified independence. Look at the end of verse 12. And not be in any need. We work hard. We can, by hard work, create an environment where we are countercultural by being financially self-sufficient. And you know, Often, it's we Christians who stand in contrast to those who cannot hold down jobs. Not all the time. But I trust you, you've seen the life of many an unbeliever where they just don't have that spiritual stamina and stability that they're able to maintain and hold down jobs. Well, we have come to the end of our time. But I want to just very quickly apply this to the home. I want to apply this entire series, the last three Sundays, to the home. You see, we need to excel still more in the home. We need to excel, excel still more in sexual holiness at home. We need to excel still more by leading a quiet life at home. We need to excel still more by going to work to provide for our home. And Jay Adams said this, quote, the notion that the Christian home is perfect or near perfect is decidedly not biblical. The parents in the home fail. Often they fail miserably. They fail one another. They fail their children and they certainly fail God. The children fail too. They bring home report cards with, with, with F's on them. They throw tantrums in the shopping mall. 
And they try to eat peas off their knives when the preacher is invited to dinner. Husbands and wives quarrel. They get irritated with one another and sometimes have serious misunderstandings. Of course, there are accomplishments too. But the point I am trying to make is that conditions frequently are far from ideal. That is the realistic picture of a truly Christian home. End quote. When we strive to live a quiet life and mind our own business and to work with our own hands, we will see our homes and our marriages and our church begin to flourish, begin to live pleasing to God. I made mention last Sunday of my football team growing up and that whole thing of winning is not everything, it's the only thing. The actual reality is that greater than winning the game, as good as it is and what our goal ought to be when we play a game, what matters the most is as long as we try hard and do our very best. That is, we excel still more. We do better. You know, we will fail and we will lose, but Jesus never did. And Jesus never does. And He never will. And we must look to Him for our strength. For in Him we have all the fullness and all the riches we need to fulfill what our God commands. Let's live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we come before You and say thank You for this time. Lord, thank You for Your Word to us. Thank You for the opportunity to be to be urged and instructed by your good law. Father, we receive good law because we are in the Lord Jesus. Christ for pardon and Christ for power. Father, your instructions to us do not come isolated or in a vacuum, but they come gospel saturated. Help us to, to be eager to obey all the more. The church in Philippi, the church at Thessalonica was running well and doing well. But they heard the call to excel still more. Help us to live that quiet life that pleases you. And all God's people said.